I'm going to say this the right way and not not come off like a like an ass. Um, now, nah, don't worry about that. This this podcast is for coming off like an ass. Haven't you heard it before? Oh, okay, perfect. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, a man our high school voted most likely to ask us to participate in a pyramid scheme in 20 years, my brother Mike. It's not a pyramid scheme. It's a multi-level reversed funnel, okay? (laughs) I just got to get some downstream distributors, and we're all going to be rich, okay? This thing is going to be huge. Mike, what is it you're selling in this this, uh, endeavor? It's a vitamin pack specifically meant for colon health. So, yeah, so, so you know, be, it's good. It's going to be bigger than crypto. Okay. It's going to be huge. <laughs> We're going to be huge. That's right. Yeah. Uh, good luck with that, buddy. He's the guy you avoid on Facebook, everybody. Uh, anyway, uh, actually you should, you should avoid Facebook altogether. Just, just get away from that. That's that's cool. Uh, thank you for joining us on another episode of Royals Weekly. On this episode, we have a very special guest, David Lesky, who will join us to discuss how the Royals may utilize rotation to their advantage this year. If you don't know David Lesky, he's a great Royals writer, writes this uh, sub stack. It's like a daily thing called Inside the Crown. It is fantastic. You should go check it out. We'll talk to him here in a little bit. He's going to join us. We'll also talk about the early returns from spring training and offer a look at what we're hoping for in week two of spring training as we have begun spring training games. The Royals are 3-0, and everyone, in the Cactus League. Break up the Royals. We're never going to lose again. I don't think so. 162-0 and this year. Plus, we're scoring like eight runs a game. <laughs> well, yeah, that was bound to happen. I mean, sure, a lot of it's coming from, you know, uh, who's that outfielder? Tucker Bradley is doing well. <laughs> you no, know. Tyler Tolbert is the hero. Of- <laughs> Tyler Tolbert is just destroying the Cactus League. Um, you know, and so many other so many other guys who aren't going to sniff the major leagues this year. Uh, but yeah, it has been fun to watch, to listen to mostly the games, and we did get a chance to watch one there. Three and zero, nothing wrong with winning in my book. Uh, before we move on to discussing the Royals, though, we have an announcement to make. We have done the the weekly or the drawing for our Q39 gift card. We were running a contest. Give us ratings and reviews, and you get entered to win a Q39 gift card. And we have now done the drawing. We are here to announce that the winner of this Q39 gift card is... Mike, give me a drum roll or something. Bop, 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 bop. Brian Gumbar! Brian uh, Gumbar! Go. Brian, to... Yay! That bump bump sounded like it was like one of those uh, heart monitor things. <laughs> like Brian oh, was, yeah. you know, not doing well. But Brian, you're doing great. You get another $100 of Q39, buddy. Thank you so much for your rating reviews. That was really helpful. Brian, I will contact you in uh, tomorrow, actually, to see how to deliver that, that gift card to you. But thank you to everyone who submitted ratings and reviews. And it really, really helps us out a ton. We appreciate it. And we just like interacting with you. So I got an email from all of them. And I even got a, I got an email from the Netherlands. Did I, tell, did I talk about this on a previous episode? No, I didn't. Some know guy that. emailed me. Some guy emailed me from the Netherlands and is like, "I have no use for a Q39 gift card," <laughs> but he listens <laughs> to the show and he's like, "I love the show." And we got to do an interesting back and forth because he plays like you know rec league baseball in the Netherlands, you know, and it's it's like this really cool thing. And so it was great to interact with people. Got to interact with Brian. Got to say you know people were so nice with their reviews and their emails and things. And so. Brian Gombar, congratulations. You're about to eat a Pitmaster sandwich, and they are mwah. 
We often start the week in review with roster news, and there are a couple bits to talk about this week. They aren't doing a lot on the like free agency or trades or anything like that. It's mostly injuries, sadly. But we will talk a little bit about one signing that they did because we didn't talk about it last week. This actually happened before our last episode, but we didn't get around to talking about it for some reason. I completely blanked it somehow. And that's the Fran Mel Reyes signing. The Royals signed 27-year-old outfielder DH. <laughs> DH is what he is. But he played left field today. Fran Mill Reyes. They signed Fran Mill Reyes to a minor league deal right before the start of spring training. Fran Mill Reyes, if you don't know, is this big, powerful right-handed bat. Was good for the Guardians for a few years uh, in the major leagues. Yeah, it looked like he might be a stalwart, like a, a semi-superstar, yeah. you know. Looked like he was going to be a middle order of the bat for them for a long time. He's only 27 years old, but last year he fell off a cliff. He had a terrible year last year. They're, they're throwing out all the narratives now, like, well, he knows he came into, into camp overweight and all this sort of stuff. I don't know what it was. As I explained on Twitter the other day, his offense will always walk on a razor's edge because he strikes out a lot, and his strikeout went, rate went way into the 30s last year, and his walk rate dropped and all this sort of stuff. So he had a really bad year last year. 80 run, weighted runs created plus is real bad when you're just a DH, basically. Um, but he's a minor league signing for the Royals. They're going to give him a shot to be a DH, to hit a little bit, to see what he can be maybe recoup some value and then trade him. Mike, what do you think of this deal? I think people are getting pretty excited about it. How are you looking at this deal? Well, I'm going to start with a, from a position of skepticism because I agree with you. I think his offense will always kind of ride on a razor's edge. Honestly, it's similar to a Nicky Lopez. And you and I have talked about how Nicky Lopez's offensive success is completely predicated on launch angle. Like he has to be hitting line drives consistently to get hits because he doesn't put the ball out of the park. That's not Fran Mill Reyes's profile, but his will always walk on the razor's edge of can he keep his strikeouts down and his walk numbers up high enough so that when he's capitalizing on those home runs, that's not all he's giving you. And so, yeah, I, I, it's a little bit exciting to me because if you can tap into that, he can become a piece in your rotation. I just don't know that there's a lot of room for him right now because we're pretty heavy at the first base DH spot, but we're going to talk a little bit later about platooning. And I think there might be a, an opportunity there to utilize Fran Mill Reyes to the best of his ability. Yeah, I think it's a great deal just because it's hard to have a, you can't have a bad minor league deal. I mean, yeah, <laughs> to have a guy who's hit 30 home runs in the major leagues on a minor league deal is great no matter what, basically. And so if he, if they can turn him around, if they can get him back to what he was previously as a hitter, great. They have great value in Fran Mill Reyes. Mostly, I think it's a great deal because he isn't a free agent until 2025. And so if they do get him to turn around, if they find at-bats for him, if he's a part of the roster for a while, they have an opportunity to trade him this deadline, the offseason, the next deadline, you name it. They got a chance to trade Fran Mil Reyes if he recoups some of his value. And that's always a good thing that an organization like the Royals should be looking to do. Find reclamation projects, turn them around, and trade them if you need to, right? Now, of course, he could also hit with them and, and stick with them, but that's an option for him. I'm going to throw out a best case scenario here, I think, although they're in way different stages of their careers, but Kendris Morales, when the Royals got Kendris Morales prior to those World Series runs, he was a guy that people were looking at like, well, his career's done. Like he's not, he's just not hitting like he was. Uh, Fran Mill Reyes is a similar profile. He's probably just a DH or, you know, he can play the field and Kendris could too, but you didn't want him to. And they hit a little differently, and Kendris was left or Kendris was switch hitter or left handed switch hitter, I believe switch hitter, yeah. And uh, so, and Fred Morais is right handed, but that's the kind of thing you're hoping for here that we can get him in here, 
turn it back to what he was and get value, whether that's trade value or run production value. And the interesting thing about Reyes, I think, is we're talking about like, well, is he going to make the roster? Is there going to be room for him? Reyes, I think, has an opt out in his contract that would allow him to just like leave if if he doesn't get if he doesn't make the opening day roster. And so that will factor into whether or not he makes the team that will factor into how they're thinking about his ability to make the roster. Just keep that in mind as we sort of think about that. Um, another roster thing that we can talk about, uh, a sad roster note, I think drew waters went down with an oblique strain, uh, about a week ago, right, right before we recorded our last episode, like <laughs> right before we recorded our last episode, we released our roster projection that had drew waters in it. They announced, Oh, he's out for six weeks with an oblique strain. And so they haven't put him on the IL as I don't think that they have to right now, but he's going to be down for quite a while. I mean, it's not just going to be that six weeks either. I mean, they were like six weeks minimum, and we know how those oblique strains can sort of linger as they did with Alberto Mondesi last year. And then even if it is six weeks, he's going to have to go through basically a new spring training because he will not have had spring training at all. So he's going to have to play a lot in AAA and things like that. And so it'll be a quite a while before we see Drew Waters in the major leagues. Mike, what impact do you think that the Waters injury might have on the Royals early in the year? Well, first, it sucks for Drew Waters yeah. because he had just had, you know, kind of a turnaround the second half of last season to his career, really, because it had gotten pretty bleak there with the Braves at the end. Um, and then he came up here and had success. So we were all looking forward to seeing him. So hope he can handle that rehab and, and that goes well for him. But I think what it does for the team it makes Nate Eaton's chances of better for making this team. I think he's a guy who today you really started to see the the uh, defensive versatility as he, I think he played second base today, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you know, he's got a cannon in the outfield, you know, he can chase it down. So Nate Eaton's going to get a lot of at bats in this spring training to prove that he can be a more consistent performer that way. If well, when waters is inevitably out, he's battling for those at bats in regular season play. Yeah, I think I think what's interesting about um, this sort of it shifts so many things, right? So now Kyle Isbell seems like basically a lock at center field, right? Like Kyle Isbell is going probably, I mean, barring his own injury or barring just the worst spring training you've ever seen in your life, Kyle Isbell is going to be the starting center fielder for the Royals uh, on opening day. The question is, will he hit enough and all that sort of thing? And now you're right; it may, means Nate Eaton is far more likely to make the team because they could use his ability in the outfield as a fielder. It also, in my mind, means that Fran Mil Reyes is more likely to make the team as a roster spot has opened up. And they'd need a 40-man roster spot for Fran Mil Reyes as well. And there's a chance that they say, we're going to put Drew Waters on the 60-day because we actually don't think it's going to be six weeks. We think it's going to be closer to eight weeks. And so there's a chance that something like that happens as well. If I'm not mistaken, is Diego Hernandez on the 40-man? I think so. I could be I think he wrong. is. So that's going to open up that's going to open up one too cuz he's going to be on the 60 day almost certainly. Yeah, almost certainly. Uh, with a dislocated soldier shoulder. So um yeah, I think I think it does increase Fred Reyes's chance to make the team too if they can find a way to utilize him either in a DH role, a first base platoon, something like that. Uh, I think that'll be somewhat interesting. Little wild card in there too, especially with the comments of Matt Quatero, which I'm going to talk about a little bit later. Michael Garcia may have been opened up for a spot too. I know it's not, I know he doesn't play the outfield, but if you're looking for a guy who's versatile in the infield, that might be another way to go. And Quattrero did sort of seem to hint at the idea that they were going to let him try and win a spot on the, on the opening day roster. 
That's one. I also wonder to what degree that what this means for their outfield defense in terms of performance. We know that Drew Waters is an excellent defender. We know he's probably a really, really excellent defender in the corners where it looks like maybe he was ticketed for if he didn't win the center field job. And so now you're talking about guys like Edward Olivares probably getting more time in the outfield. Maybe Fran Mill Reyes getting more time in the outfield. You know, it's going to be one of those things where it's a sort of cascading effect. It may not be huge. But you may see it to some degree that the Royals outfield defense is not as sharp as it might have been when you could have rolled out, you know, Kyle Isbell, Drew Waters and MJ Melendez or something like that. You mentioned it a little bit, the Diego Hernandez separated shoulder. That was a thing that happened in yesterday's game. He dove for a ball, plugged in the outfield and hurt his shoulder. He will be out three to four months. If you don't know who Diego Hernandez is, he's kind of a everybody's a dark horse favorite Royals prospect in some ways, like fast center fielder ability to center to field uh, in center field right now. Great, great fielder, 23 years old, does a little something with the bat, has a little bit of power, maybe more than you'd think, but he's going to be out uh, three to four weeks. It looks like with that or three to four months. I'm sorry, three to four months with that separated shoulder. That's sad to hear for him. He's, he was looking like, uh, you know, you get your first shot really at big league camp. You want to take advantage of it. You want to, do well. And then for this to happen on the verge of you doing, you know, good things in the upper minors, a pretty sad thing for him. It's really, really, really important to us that you subscribe, rate and review, like, like, and comment and all those sorts of things on about this podcast on whatever platform you use. If you watch on YouTube, give us a thumbs up, give us a comment, tell us what you're thinking about the topic of the day. What do you think about Fran Mill Reyes? What do you think about platooning? Let us know. We're, we're interested in starting a dialogue here. Doing all this stuff helps people find the show and lets us know that we're doing something right and you want us to produce more content. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Like I said, we're posting a bunch of different content on there. I posted a thread the other day on, who was that on, Mike? I can't remember. I posted some thread on somebody uh, the other day. Maybe it was Fran Mill Reyes. I think it was Fran Mill Reyes. I think that was the one you're talking it about. It was yeah. extensive and I, if I must say, exquisite. And so... It was very good. Go ahead and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You get to see all that extra content. We post a a ton of additional analysis, and we love to interact with people on there. David Lesky is going to join us for our Spotlight segment today. He is one of our absolute favorite Royals writers. I read him virtually every day. If you aren't already, you should. Oh, I do. (laughs) Well, I mean, also by process of elimination at this point. How many people are writing about the Royals at this point? I mean, like, (laughs) a good question, right? But he provides tremendous insight with analytics, and he knows some people, and he's just doing great things that are are wonderful. So subscribe to his Substack Inside the Crown and follow him on Twitter. To me, you're a must-follow as a Twitter follow, just perfect. Uh, Twitter follow from David. Uh, we're going to start just by talking about spring training so far a little bit because we've gotten three games and that's a big enough sample size, you right? Know. I think we pretty we're much good. know uh, what's <laughs> going on there. <laughs> uh, so, what have you seen, uh, seen or heard? I guess. What do you think about what you've you've observed uh, in these first three games? Is there anything that we can take away from this tiny, tiny scrap of uh, of information we have about about the Royals so far? Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's tough because it's it's three games. It's it's three games, and and what? How many innings have regulars played? I don't know. I would guess it's like twelve, maybe. <laughs> so it, it three games in spring training is less than three games normally. But the one number that I I looked at today, and I and I may write about for tomorrow. I'm not sure yet. Um, six point eight percent walk rate in three games. So, um, and 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 two of those were Dylan Coleman, which. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing because he obviously struggled with walks early last year, came back, had like a seven, two 
walkway after after he came back from the minors, um, or maybe it was after the All Star break. I can't remember. But he seems like a guy who would struggle at the start of spring. I, I feel like I don't know, just just totally throwing a, a dart here, but he feels like somebody who might take a few days, a few games to find his command. So if that's the case, and maybe I'm just hoping it is the case, um, two of the eight walks they've issued in three games were him. And but overall, uh, uh, walk rate below seven percent that checks out. You know, I, I think that there are a couple of things you can look for in spring training. You can look for things that they've said they're working on. So if the organization says, hey, we're going to work on throwing strikes and they throw more strikes, that feels good. That feels okay. If the organization says, hey, we're going to work on um, de- defense uh, and on the infield and the defense on the infield has played generally pretty well, that feels good. Um, three games, you know, that I'm guessing the Royals had a walk rate of 6.8% over three games a few times in 2022. So maybe it's just a blip, but you know, who knows? And, and so that to me is the biggest thing I've also, from what I've heard, um, and and again, it's such a small sample, but all three games in surprise have helped because somebody I know has been there and been able to watch. So Brad Keller looked really good in the first, um, he, this is the best shape of his life comment, but apparently he just looks really good. So that I find that interesting. Framil Reyes looks like he's back physically. Uh, obviously, the home run today was was insane. Four hundred sixty feet, I think they said. Feet, yeah. Um, wow. So that that's good, but also he looks back to what he was a couple of years ago, and, and he was open about coming to camp overweight last year. He didn't shy away from that, so that's a good sign. Um, and Nick Lofton. Um, the one thing that I keep hearing, and I, I'd seen something about somebody said they saw him in batting practice on Thursday, I want to say. Maybe it might have been Friday before the game when they played um, their first game. But somebody said, Nick Lofton looks huge. And I'm going, okay. I mean, yeah. He does. Yeah. He, well, yeah. Well, the funny thing is, we when you watch games on television and then you go to spring training and you see these players. 20 feet away from you. You're like, oh man, this guy is way bigger than I expected. And even the big players like Salvi, you look at him, you're like, that's a huge man. And then I'm a big guy. I'm six foot three. Um, Salvi towers over me. Like he makes me feel tiny near him. And so you, you don't realize how big they are. And so, so I think sometimes you get people who maybe haven't seen them live and you go, okay, well, he's just bigger than you thought he was. No, Nick Lofton, I hadn't seen the story from Ann yet. Maybe she hadn't written it yet. Or maybe she tweeted. I can't remember. But he comes to the plate and I'm going, oh, he does actually look a lot bigger. And then he hits that bomb and I'm going, oh, he... and then Ann tweets out that he put on 20 pounds of muscle. And I'm like, oh, well, he... not only does he look bigger, he is bigger. So those are some of the biggest things that I took from this past weekend. It's three games. Again, we know how, how little information there is on that. But just from having a chance to watch on the Saturday game and hear from a, a person who was there. Reports are pretty good, you know. Yeah, I, we'll see. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I I think you can see some of that, and you mentioned some examples specifically. The emphasis on strike throwing, I think, has come across in a couple key examples. I think about Carlos Hernandez's outing yes. the other day, and and having watched the way he struggles to throw strikes in the past, you can tell the way he's doing it is quite a bit different and quite a bit um, 
and really in keeping with what they're trying, what they're saying they're trying to teach some of these guys, the new approach to throwing strikes, the aiming middle, middle, if you need to, and that sort of thing. It looks like he has taken that to heart and is trying to utilize it. And is he still a wild ish? Of course he is. He's Carlos Hernandez, right? Like these guys are going to walk in. They're still going to, they're still going to walk. So like, it's still going to happen. Don't worry. (laughs) But it does seem to be affecting some guys specifically. Like always, you stole all my stuff. I was going to bring up Carlos Hernandez as the case study for throwing strikes. And, uh, yeah, so thank you. I appreciate that. But I did want to throw, like, the one observation I have isn't even Royal specific, but the pitch clock, I'm noticing it so much. I didn't even realize I would. But the fact that they, they had, like, a 15-run game the other day and played it in two and a half hours yeah. is just unbelievable. I mean, it is, it's wild to think that, you know, you're going you're gonna to get games done a half an hour earlier than what they would have last year. It's, I mean, I think it's great. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, but I do think some of those kinks will have to kind of get ironed out through spring training. And then the Lofton thing, if you watched him coming out of Baylor, you thought somewhat tall, spindly guy. Mm-hmm. And he looks he looks like Alex Gordon almost. I mean, big. the guy looks he looks big. Unbelievably big. Now I, I do Mark wondered the other day, and I, I kind of wonder as well, does that change uh, some of his defensive versatility? Basically, can he stay in center and short and still play the center and short that he was able to play before this? But that's certainly an interesting development that I can't wait to continue to see is how hard does he hit the ball? Are some of those line drives now leaving the park uh, that that he was hitting last year? Because then that takes him from a guy who's maybe a 15 to 20 home run guy in his best year to a 20 to 25 or maybe even more. So that's big to me. I I guess that question, does it matter if he can play shortstop or center with what this team now has? Maybe it doesn't. So, yeah, you know, they moved into the outfield last year and they didn't have a center field prospect. And then they traded for Drew Waters. Diego Hernandez emerged. Kyle Isbell played phenomenally defensively. You know, maybe, maybe they don't need him in center field. And so that's, maybe that's, maybe they don't care. And shortstop, you've got, they, they're going to see what Bobby Witt can do, but that Nicky Lopez is still there. Michael Garcia, um, you know, maybe they've just decided we don't, care if Lofton can play these positions and if, if he can be our third baseman great you know maybe you know yeah everybody wants to say Caden Wallace is the guy but half a season right I mean we don't we don't you know, never know I, yeah. I think you can feel good about what he did um but yeah. to add another potential third baseman I don't I don't think hurts much I wanted to ask you guys what you think <clears throat> do you believe and I go back and forth on this do you think spring training games are generally slower or faster than regular season games? And uh, I'm going to keep talking because I'm terrible about that. But well, the reason I asked that is because in my head, I'm thinking all these substitutions, lack of communication, all that should make spring training games go a little bit longer, but also they're not important as far as, you know, this pitch, that pitch doesn't matter. So I'm just, I'm wondering what you guys think, um, I know I'm sure there's data on it that I could have looked up, but I want to get your opinion. <laughs> well, I think I think generally speaking, they're longer, not because of any of like uh, the substitutions. Well, that might have like some sort of impact on it, but also just pitchers getting ready. They, I think the if you looked at walk rates, I imagine, and having minor league guys, if you looked at walk rates, I imagine they would be higher. If you looked at runs scored, I imagine it would be higher because you're in Arizona, and so sure. I imagine generally speaking, they're just longer for those reasons. Now it could just be in years past. I have this impression where I'm like yeah. listening or watching in the seventh inning of a game where there are no more regulars. <laughs> I'm like, how is this not over? Yeah. How long's this game been going? <laughs> is it tomorrow yet? What's going on here? Like, and so, you know, who knows, but 
you know, I think that's the general impression that I get is that those spring training games are probably a little bit longer uh, for those reasons. Uh, but who yeah. knows? I mean, it is wild. I saw I saw one game ended in two hours and seven minutes, like yesterday within this first well, play. I'm like, that's a two hour baseball game. <laughs> what was the, the Padres Diamondbacks was like 18 to six, I want to say. And that was 303, I think. Um, like, that's – the reason I'm, I'm just trying to, to gauge in my head, okay, are we going to see 10 more minutes in the regular season or is it 10 less minutes? I think I think there's a better chance it's 10 less. Yeah, I think so too. And I, I think it's, it's, it's noticeable. Um, and so oh, – sorry, I want to circle back too. One of the things that I, I forgot about, I was listening to the broadcast on the radio, and it was um, Ryan Lefevre and Mike Sweeney early in the game. And they were talking about where did Salvi catch? Yeah, where Salvi set up. And and this big emphasis has been on middle middle. Yes, absolutely. But they were talking a lot about how much closer to the plate he was too, which I I kind of glossed over that part for whatever reason. But um, the general consensus on that was they were losing low strikes because of how far back how they far. caught the ball, which makes sense. Um, I mean, you would like the umpires to be able to call the strike zone regardless of where it's caught. But as as much as I get as much as I like to bag on umpires, it's very difficult. Like these are middle aged men um, whose eyesight are that of middle aged men generally. Which no shame, here I am. Um, but it's hard to see ninety nine on the black. You know, <laughs> like yeah. like I totally understand that, and so I, I find that really interesting because I need to look this up again because I don't know if this is one hundred percent right, but. I believe I looked it up last year and the Royals had the most pitches in the strike zone called balls of any team in baseball. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know that that's really interesting too. something I want to watch for. And then I started thinking about it too. And maybe you feel the same way when you, when it goes through your head, but I kept thinking, you don't ever see Royals catchers hit on the follow through, but you see other teams catchers hit on the follow through all the time. And I'm going, how far back were they actually setting up without me even really paying that close attention to it? Um, so I, that that's something that I really want to follow throughout the spring and throughout the season, too. But I, I wonder, it, it sort of makes you wonder, like, how were the pitchers actually as bad as the numbers or were the catchers really bringing them down? And I hate to take the blame away from the people actually throwing the baseball, but I'm wondering how much of an improvement just comes from like the most basic changes that you can make behind the plate. It's wild that nobody said this before because Salvi got dinged for framing for a long time. Yes. People have been talking about how, how bad he is at framing for a long time. You would have think somebody would have said, Hey, we're going to scoot you up to, at least as a starting point, we're going to scoot you up a little bit and see if, if your framing numbers don't get better. Right. And it makes me question a little bit and I hate to do this, but I love Pedro Grifol, but he was the catching coach. Yeah. He was and the catching guy. So where, where was this? And It'll be really interesting. I, I know the White Sox have veteran catching, um, but it'll be really interesting to see if the White Sox, if maybe he backs them off the plate a little bit. Like, what was that the impact? I don't know. And I, I'm not, I don't think it'll happen because of who they have catching generally, but that it's interesting mm-hmm. to me. Where where was Grifol on this? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, that that's That's a much bigger story to follow than I think I realized. You see, and I always thought that this was probably an issue of the fact that Salvi is such a tall catcher. Yeah. And, you know, umpires have to sort of see over him and then look down. And their perception can just get skewed, especially if he has to reach. It looks like he's reaching down to get a ball because he's so tall. And so, you know, I think those things combined sort of really 
hurt his ability to uh, to frame pitch as well. I'm hoping in 2024 that's not even an issue anymore. I'm hoping that becomes completely right. uh, moot, but we'll see at that point. I do yeah. want to uh, move us into a conversation that I've been wanting to have a long time, especially with David, because he's written some cool things about it. Um, and that is platooning and the ways in which the Royals may utilize rotation as a way of maximizing some value uh, from some of their players. Um, Mike and I talk about it a lot. I want to start with the basics. David, do you think that the Royals will be more inclined to platoon and rotate players this year? And what kind of impact do you think that would have for them as a whole? Yeah, I, I do think they will be. Um, it'll be interesting because I know Matt Quattrero really wants to use the whole roster. Um, I don't think that was lip service. And he, he talked about it in terms of Ryan O'Hearn back in December, I guess it was, saying, hey, he's going to get more at-bats. And that obviously set people off, which rightfully so. But And then, and then he's gone, so who cares? Um, but they, the Rays use their roster. I mean, these guys don't generally sit. Backups don't get 112 plate appearances in a season. They play a lot more than that. And so I, I do think that he is wanting to utilize the roster a lot more. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure how that ends up working with platoons, partially because who, who do you platoon? So Pasquantino is playing every day. I think that that's, unless he shows a reason not to, I think he's at least starts the season. He's going to play against everybody. Salvi plays against everybody. Bobby Witt plays against everybody. Um, MJ Melendez probably mostly plays against everybody because of how well he hit lefties. I, I don't think that they're, they're naive to that. Um, so then, then you look around, and I think Hunter Dozier, I think, makes a lot of sense to platoon quite a bit. He's pretty good against lefties. I mean, not I'm, he's okay against lefties. He's he's usable, um, and that's important. I think that that's that's a usable is fine. Um, I think Michael Massey or Nicky Lopez at second base, maybe they sit against some lefties, and that that I find it so interesting that they even played second base because. That's not something he'd done in the minors. I want to say, I don't think he did it last year at all. Um, if he did, it was brief. It was mostly third base and outfield last year. So um, it's been a while, but he played there. And I, I feel like he made a, almost made an error and recovered. But hey, it's roster versatility useful for him. Um, I think Isbell is probably a platoon candidate, maybe with Eaton in the outfield or Edward Olivares or Bramiel Reyes. I mean, they're, there, there's a now they have some righties who they can balance some of these lefty bats with, and I do think they will utilize it. Um, I don't know if it'll necessarily be this guy's against lefties, this guy's against righties. I, I think it very well could be a Eaton's going to play against lefties, but we don't know who he's going to play for, and you know, Isbell is going to play against righties, but we don't know who's going to sit when he when the righties on the mound, like I think it's going to be one of those situations where these guys play in situations, but it's not necessarily a straight two player platoon. Um, and, and I think that where Fran Mill Ray is, I think confuses things a little bit if he makes the roster, which I, I as soon as he was signed, I thought, okay, he's, he's the favorite. I think he's there. They want him to be on this team. So he's probably the DH on opening day, if things go right in spring training. Um, but if he's on this roster, it kind of messes things up a little bit because I think the plan originally was Edward Olivares, DH, Waters and Isbell, center and right, and Melendez and left, and and then you can do some rotating because Olivares isn't unable to play the outfield. He's just not good at playing the outfield. Fran Reyes is also similar, but maybe less able than Edward Olivares. So 
that that does confuse things a little bit, especially when you want to get a guy like Salvia Day at DH instead of catcher. So I'm not quite sure how they're going to handle that. Although Reyes played the outfield, maybe maybe they like what they see. I don't. I doubt it. Kind of, but that 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 puts a wrench in things. But I do think you're going to see the whole roster used quite a bit, and it'll be. I, I think I think players will be put in better positions than they have been in the past. I guess is the really short answer to the long answer. Um, yeah, the DH thing is the thing that interests me because. I think you're right. I think they wanted Olivares to be able to come in and, and play that DH spot against lefties and then, you know, kind of figure out what you're going to do to fill it the other days or have. But with Reyes in there, that DH spot becomes extremely interesting to me because basically what you have is four players, right? You've got Pasquantino, you've got Reyes, you've got Melendez will factor into that too because of his ability to rotate in a catcher. And so, and then you got Salvi and it's like, and this isn't even counting Nick Prado, who I think will probably have to prove some stuff in AAA still. But it becomes this puzzle of like, okay, when can we play this right-handed guy versus when are we going to go with a Melendez versus when are we, you know, it, it's so complex. I, I agree with you. I don't think we're going to see any like, all right, we have two third basemen, one we play against righties and one we play against lefties. I don't think we're going to have any of that. I think it's going to get much more complicated. And I think Drew Waters actually simplified some of that for you when you could say, hey, switch hits so we can play him anywhere, any day, that made it a little simpler. But now with this, I think it's going to make it a little more complex and a little bit more likely that somebody like Fran Mel Reyes does make it coming out of camp and does have a large contribution. Now, if he doesn't perform in that early time, I could see his playing time falling off dramatically when you get somebody like a Waters back. But who knows? Well, I guess we'll have to see on that one. But I do agree. I think I think Quattrero is going to platoon more. I think we're going to see it at a lot more spots and I think we're going to see it. I mean, that sort of philosophy of platooning in the field, we're going to see it in the bullpen as well with a lot more specialized stuff there. Uh, Cause I think he's going to bring that stuff from Tampa. I think David would ha- hit it right on the head with his like put players in the best position possible. And I think that's going to go deeper. Like you said, than the righty lefty thing, it's going to be things like we know Hunter Dozier doesn't hit great against velocity. And so on days when somebody's throwing hard from the left side, you might not see him. Or when we get into bullpens and guys are throwing harder, he may get he may get subbed out for somebody who handles velocity better, like an Edward Olivares or something like that, even if it's like a depending on position and all that sort of thing. But it's going to go deeper. And I think it's so interesting that it's probably going to go deeper than just righty lefty and things like that, because this this coaching staff seems more well suited to dig deep into the analytics and really understand it's not just righty lefty with this guy. It's about velocity. It's about pitch type. It's about movement metrics and things like that against these particular guys. Yeah. It'll be, I I think really interesting to watch because Matt Quattrero kind of strikes me. I'm going to say this the right way and not, not come off like like an ass. Um, now, don't worry about that. This this podcast is for coming off like an ass. Haven't you heard it before? Oh, okay. Perfect. Matt Quattrero. <laughs> um, I get the very distinct impression that he reminds – it's like a beautiful mind with him. That, like, he doesn't – I'll say this the right way because I don't – I really don't want to be a jerk um, because I don't mean it in, the, in a way that – the way I have it in my head is going to come off like a jerk. But he doesn't – he's not, like, the most exciting guy in the world. Um. But I feel like his brain, baseball brain at least, is incredibly exciting. Like, I, I think that he he has these thoughts that we've never seen from a Royals manager before. And some of it is because he comes from guys who have a similar brain um, and has worked for those guys like Francona and Cash. 
And some of it, I think he's just really intellectually curious about baseball, which I don't want to say that Matheny wasn't and that Yost wasn't, but I don't think they were. <laughs> like, I, I, think it, I think it's fair to say they were. Not just baseball either. But, yeah, and, and, and so I, it's interesting because I think that strategies that we've seen from the best teams are strategies that the Royals will use. And, you know, I think about like the Dodgers, for example, and think what you want about Dave Roberts. That organization is not a one person show running it. Every, I, I, Dave Roberts doesn't manage alone. I think we all know that. Um, I think, I think most managers don't. So <clears throat> the Dodgers do a really good job of putting players in the right position to succeed. I mean, I think that that's, that's one of the things that they do really well. And they won what was 111 games last year. How many did they win on talent? Obviously it was a lot, but did they win five extra games because they were put in a better position to succeed? Was it 10? Was it six? I don't know the number, whatever it was, this is a phenomenal team that was made even better by using, by being smart with their decision-making. And that doesn't, this, this, the smarts don't, you don't have to be good to be smart. And so even if the Royals are still a 65 win team, does the use of analytics and, and advanced metrics and just, you know, the modern day baseball methods, does that give them five more wins before they even step on the field? I don't, maybe, um, I can't tell you the answer, but I, I think that the teams that win generally win because they do smart things. And I think the Royals are going to do smart things. Yeah, they, They're, they're not as good as the guardians, but I think they're going to catch up a little bit just by being smart. Yeah, I think I think people are underestimating the degree to which that's going to have an impact, honestly. I think we haven't seen yet how much, like, uh, I don't know how to say this because I, I want to sort of tread the same line that you did. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't think people understand the degree to which the Royals were not taking advantage of these things in the past. Yes. And, you know, to simply make those changes like, well, we're going to throw more strikes. That's going to have a huge impact. <laughs> we're going to play players in the right positions at the right times. That's going to have a big impact. I think people are underestimating the degree to which that's going to have an impact. Yes, absolutely. And and, and I'm going to go back to something I wrote December, maybe. Might have been January. I can't remember. I was told by, I'm, I want to make sure I don't out this person at all, but somebody who would absolutely know that he believed replacing Matheny and Cal Eldred with anybody was worth 10 wins. <laughs> like, Literally anybody. I saw you. I think did you put? I think you might have put that out on Twitter or something. I, I've, I've, I've put it out a couple of times, but yeah, yeah, and, or maybe it was in your Substack. I can't remember, but I was like, "Holy crap!" Like I can't even imagine because in baseball, like if you told me that, like, hey, in in the NFL, you change a coordinator or a head coach, and that's worth I don't know a ten percent increase in wins. I'd be like, "Yeah, I buy that, no problem." But well, it's one win, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, or yeah, twenty percent. But like, yeah. if if you told me that in baseball, I'd be like, well, you know, I don't know about that. But I think something like that, and I and again, this is going to sound mean. I think it says a whole lot more about what we had than what we got, yes. if that makes sense. And not that that's not a bash on anybody. I think Quatrero, I think uh, Sweeney, I think they're going to do great things. But I'm not saying they're they're like light years ahead of other people in the game right now. They're at least where they are, which is something we haven't ever seen. They're on par. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's funny. When I first heard that, I was like 10. Okay, sure. Right. Whatever. And you start to see stuff. And you start to see like like the Brad. You see Carlos Hernandez throwing strikes. 
You're like, kind of throwing any of like, any of this stuff, <laughs> and you go, wait a minute, and and, and I think I tweeted this. One of you might, I don't know, somebody did, and I don't even remember what I when I tweet myself. That's that's it's a great endorsement for me. Um, <laughs> you it like you said, it, it's difficult to know just how to, to really understand just how behind they were previously. And so the more I hear about this, the more I think about the 10 win number, at first I was like, ah, three or four, yeah, maybe. And I was like, maybe five or six. And now I'm like, is it more than 10? Is he off? <laughs> and, and and you wondered a little bit because of just how far behind they were. And oh, this what, what I tweeted was, I think people, a lot of people do like scoff a little bit of the idea that just changing the pitching coaches is going to change a lot. And I don't necessarily think... And, the reason I think it will is not because Brian Sweeney is a sure thing to be great. I think he will be pretty, very good at the job. Too many people are really high on him, but where they were coming from, even if you get to average, it's a massive improvement. If Brian Sweeney is just a perfectly fine, adequate pitching coach, they've improved a lot because what they had before was brutally bad. And, and the more I, the more I hear about things, and the more I see things, and the more I think about things, and you know, I, I hesitate sometimes to say this, but I think it's very difficult to look at anything and anybody but Dayton Moore as the root cause of all of this. And it kind of stinks to th- say that because this is the guy who brought a World Series to Kansas City. I just. He seems to be the problem. And once he was gone, everything seems to have changed. Um, I mean, even in the development system, uh, you guys, was it you guys who talked to Alec Marsh or was mm-hmm. the Royals Farm Report? It was both of you us because okay. we had Alec, we had Alex and Alec on. Oh, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, I think about that podcast like daily almost. <laughs> like, like what he said, that's a different organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, was Dayton Moore saying you can't go to driveline? No, I, people went to driveline. So I, I don't I don't think that was the case. But like, I don't know. Some of the stuff that the Royals are doing now without hardly any turnover outside of the big league coaching staff, a couple guys in the minors, and Dayton Moore. Like, that's the only, those are the only changes that have been made. And yet somehow the development system seems to be overturned with no new people. I hate to say it, but I, I don't know where else you can look. And I mean, if you want to think about it, think back to the Terry Bradshaw firing. It was public. Dayton Moore didn't want to do it. Yeah. And and J.J. Piccolo finally just did it. I'm sure he got approval. but yeah. Or maybe, maybe it was a ask for forgiveness later thing. I don't know. But um, <laughs> That would be so funny if it was. Hey, sorry. Fired your buddy. Um, but that would be amazing. I wish – I'm, I'm hoping for that actually now. But how much was Dayton Moore holding the organization back? It, and it's it's crazy to I don't, I don't know it's just it's very interesting to me because people ask the question what took them so long to fire Cal Eldred and I'm going well it happened as soon as they fired Dayton Moore yeah exactly I mean, almost as soon it's like these are this isn't a a constellation of dots to connect here it's, it's two from here to here <laughs> <laughs> I find that really interesting. It is very interesting. And it's one of those things when people look back and tell the story of the Royals at this time, 
that will be the turning point. That will be the plot yeah. twist. That will be the thing everybody looks to and says, this is why the team got different. We can't say yet that it will be wildly successful, that it will be anything like that. But what we can say is this is how they got different uh, at this moment. And it will all sort of track back to that because, you, as you mentioned it, you know, he didn't want to do the Terry Bradshaw thing. I mean, you know, the Cal Elder thing. It was very clear what was keeping that from happening. You know, it's kind of a cool, like, circle of life thing is – I don't, you can argue with Dayton Moore's methods. You can argue with what he believed in, as far as baseball and, and whatever. I don't think the Royals ever win a World Series without him getting hired in 2015 because I think he turned David Glass around. And so, you know, he came to Kansas City and said, I'm not doing this unless you're willing to spend when the time comes to spend. And I mean, look at the Royals' payrolls in really more 15, 16, and 17 than 14. But David Glass spent. Yeah. I don't know that he would have spent without Dave. And, and that, that's that's a little bit hard to know because maybe somebody else would have said the same thing. Um, but also, they rebuilt the farm system in a way that that's what Dayton Moore was known for at the time. Um, obviously, he couldn't replicate it. That's what he's good at. Like, right. Like that, that's where he comes from. And that's like, I feel like there was this transition period in about 2015 where teams started changing what they were doing. Dayton Moore had won the last world series. I feel like that was of the old way. Yeah. And he built it the old way. And he was talking about windows and, and built up this gigantic farm system and then used that as its strength. And then was like, well, we're just going to rebuild. Like this is what teams from small markets do. And he was still in that way of thinking when other teams had moved on to other ways of thinking and he wasn't willing to change those things. And yeah. it was those things that made him really good as a scout and as a, a personnel person and developing a culture of a team that also got him gone because he wasn't willing to fire his buddies. He wasn't willing to, you know, kind of hurt anybody else's chance. He was willing to hold on to people so long and give them so many chances you can't do that anymore. Yeah. You just can't do it that way anymore. So the thing about this is like, I love that you mentioned that yeah. it's the last one where we'll probably see it that way, that world series, because it seemed like more wanted to still do that. Like, well, we draft some guys, we sign some guys and then they grind it out in the minors and then they become good. It wasn't like a, an additional thought about player development. That was like, we're going to utilize this analytics. We're going to do this cutting it. That all developed right around the time. Then when they won the world series and then it's like the game move past him in terms of like what it meant to scout and find players in terms of what it meant to develop them most importantly. And that's sort of where he ends up like becoming the thing. It's like, all right, you're not doing the stuff that really is going to give you the, the edge these days, Dayton. Like we know you're, you're still probably still great at like looking at somebody. He's probably still just as good as anybody at looking at a player and just being able to tell whether or not that player is talented, like, or has projection and things like that. The problem is, you know, we've moved beyond just doing that. We've added this other component to it. Well, I, I think that there's also, and this is so far off the topic, I'm sure, but I think it's interesting because I think that there's a component in baseball now where you can look at a player who isn't good and figure out how to make him good. Maybe not, not good. I have said this about Carlos Hernandez forever. I've said this about myself forever. Royals, I'm not good yet. You can <laughs> but make I have good. something in here that says <laughs> I will be good. <laughs> I mean, truly, you've got these players who, and and it, it kind of, it's sort of the money ball thing, right? The, the, we're not here to sell jeans. I don't care what he looks like. Teams are so good now at acquiring a player who has a skill and just making that skill as loud as possible 
And and the Rays, I think about Rays relievers. That that's where like the number one place that I think it happens. The Rays find a pitcher, or a guy who has one pitch, and they just make that pitch so freaking good that he's amazing. And like, and it's true with with hitters and 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 first baseman or whatever. It doesn't matter. Like teams are really good at amplifying what players do well, and holding back a little bit what they don't do well and turning them into you know, turning a woman player into a two, two in player into three, three into four, you know, just getting more out of the players because of their development. And that's something the Royals haven't done in forever. They can, if a good player is good, he'll be, he'll play well for the Royals. He'd be good for the Royals. But if a good, if a player is average, he's going to be average for the Royals. Whereas if he goes to the guardians or the Rays or the Dodgers, they might get above average to good out of a player. And the Royals just never got that extra little bit. And I, and I think what you see now with Zumwalt and Duran and, um, you know, that group, and now hopefully we'll see it on the pitching side with the changes they've made, because it's a lot of the same names in the minors, at least, um, along with Sweeney and Zach Bove and Mitch Tedder in the majors, who's a, a, the same name, but now in a different spot. Hopefully now what we can see is, okay, they made – this average player good. They made this bad player average. And and that's how you fill out the bottom of the roster. That's how you make the middle of the roster better. I mean, it's how you make everything better. And, you know, finding the 10-win player, 7-win player, let's say 10 is crazy. Um, finding the 7-win player, every general manager can, can scout that 100%. It's turning the 2-win player into the 4. And that's, that's where the Royals have struggled for 30 years, maybe, maybe more. I don't know. Um, i trying to think of the last, I mean, they've had a handful of guys, Mike Avilas, you know, they, he got, he was mm-hmm. whatever, but in general, it's been since maybe 40 years, gosh, it might be the eighties since they really were that organization that took players and, and, and made them better. And now hopefully they're there and they're, they're caught up again. The only one I can think of is maybe Zach Grinke early in that career. He, he kind of, progressed to being a, a real high level player, but he may, you may be talking about the guy who was always going to be there, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, he was the what, number six overall he was the yeah, first round yeah. draft pick. I mean, go well, on. Like, yeah, yeah. I think of guys like, you know, David DeJesus and, and, and things like that, where, you know, you, you see guys who ended up being four win players, but you're right. It was so few and far between for the last 30 years in this group. And it, it is all about basically the bottom half of the roster with them. Yeah. It's all like, when I think back to the last few, like the last five years, even, and I ask myself, like, well, was this an issue that they're like universally their players just weren't good enough? I'm like, look at their lineups. It's six through nine. It's seven through nine that are giving them, uh, you know, weighted run created pluses of 80, you know, and stuff like that. That's just that's sinking this entire team or the back yeah. half of their rotation is throwing up a five and a half ERA every time. You know, it's that sort of stuff. Um, David, before you go, I know we were taking up some, some of your time. You have a, you have a newborn child at home that you need to probably get a, get to. Congrats. Uh, Mike knows what that experience is like. Uh, and so I want to ask for our fans so they can get sort of your perspective. What are you paying attention to for the rest of spring training? What's something you really want to look for over the course of the next three weeks as we move hopefully into a successful regular season? We're three and zero right now. So you undefeated cactus league, maybe. <laughs> and it now cactus league champs again. Um, no, I, I think, for me, the biggest things, the catchers, I want to, I want to watch them. I'm very curious how they, how they do their work. What I think is going to be really interesting over the next few weeks is a lot of the like important players on this team are leaving. Um, you've got Salvi and Pasquantino, Melendez, 
singer um wit wit yeah um who else is nikki lopez is going which i find really interesting that lopez is going given that he's in a position battle um not sure i would do that but also i'm not sure i'd pass up the chance so maybe i don't know um but so that, that'll make it a little bit more difficult because i really want to see salvi and melendez in the way that they are setting up behind the plate while they're both going to be gone so hopefully they keep progressing but that that's a big thing strikes i mean it's very simple but I want to see the guys throw strikes and you know, was it sat? It must've been Saturday when Quatrera was on the broadcast, he was talking about the average pitcher misses by seven to 12 inches, which I thought was a really interesting stat. And so why not throw to the middle of the plate? So I just, I just want to see if that's, if it looks like that's what they're throwing to, if all, all that stuff. And then position battles, um, Michael Massey, really interesting to me this spring. I, I think Massey can be, um, I'm going to use the word impact. I don't mean it in the way of like a number four hitter. I think he can impact a team in a lot of ways. Um, I think he can be a guy. I think he can be a guy on a championship roster. I don't think the Royals quite see that yet. So I think spring is really big for him. Um, I'm really curious. Kyle Isbell with the changes he made at driveline. I want to see some of that. I know I think he had a hit today with a bloop. Um, it's okay. They count the same. <laughs> so, um, you know, you're not – you go back to the old axiom of, of the best hitters fail 70% of the time. It's not accurate. It's 60%, but still, um, I want to, th- those, those are the things I want to watch really, um, some really micro things, Josh Stallman's velocity. Uh, he was at 99 on Friday. I think it was according to the reports, the surprise gun can be a little hot, but even if it's two miles per hour, hot 97 on February 24th, I'll take that. That's, that's, Pretty good. That's really important for this bullpen. If if Stamont is twenty twenty, Josh Stamont, they could be an elite bullpen. If he's twenty twenty two, they can still be good, but I don't think they reach their ceiling without Stamont. So stuff like that is really what I'm I'm going to keep my eyes out for. Um, and then just being really jealous of people who are going because we just couldn't get it together with the newborn. So, hey, I completely understand that. We did not go last year. I did send my wife down in November with a newborn to Arizona to see her in-laws. And if and if her in-laws didn't live there, we we may not be going either. Uh, yeah, my in-laws didn't live. I mean, there. My, my parents uh, are down there for six weeks, but, so we have a free place to stay. Oh, oh no it's kidding! Two, it was one of those things that we're like, okay, how are we going to make this work? And we're going all through December. We're like, we're we're just going to do it. We're just going to do it. We're not. We're not going to do it. It's so. too hard. We'll FaceTime with my parents. <laughs> Yeah, it's too hard. It is no sleep. Yeah, it's too hard. I, I thought I thought your point about Michael Massey was extremely good. I think he might be one of those guys that yeah. is like a one or two win guy. That if you can really yeah, get him absolutely. going, he can be a, a two to four win guy. Like I think he's the he's kind of the antith or the the kind of example of of what mm-hmm. that can be. The guy that I'm really looking at is Michael Garcia. If you'd asked me that a week ago, I I wouldn't have mentioned it at all. I I called him the wild card on our episode last week to make the roster kind of a guy. But with Quattrero's comments the other day where he said, we're going to leave him kind of open and give him an opportunity to make this team, that kind of made me go, okay, maybe there's a chance. They think he's probably good enough with with the Winter League performance, with uh, what he's shown defensively, what he showed a little bit last year, although defensively, what he did in the major leagues last year defensively in his limited time was not indicative of what he is defensively. And so, yeah, maybe there is a small chance. And they played him at third base today. And, you know, Hunter Dozier hasn't shown. We, we know he's a defensive improvement from Hunter Dozier. Absolutely. If he can hit to the level of Hunter Dozier, you win a spot right there. I mean, uh, in my mind. 
have I, I don't know if I've said this out loud, but somebody in the organization told me that they think Michael Garcia is Tim Anderson with plate discipline. Hmm. That's, I was, I was like, that, that would be, be great. Oh, that's actually a really interesting comparison. I'm going to have to get my eyes on him to see a power level that, that rises to Tim Anderson because right now. Well, but, I mean, Tim Anderson, what, what's his career? What's his, what has he done? outside of the juice ball. I feel like he's been like more of a 12 to 15 guy. Oh, I'm just talking about like how hard they hit the ball. I need to look at their exit velocities, but it seems to me like, like Anderson can put a charge into the ball, whether he's a, he's a slasher, a line drive hitter, but Garcia just doesn't have the power to put force into the ball. Although he did do a lot in winter league. Yeah. That's why I'm, that's why I'm really curious to actually see him with my eyes because we saw last year that Garcia is, good at, at finding the line drive. He is a line drive hitter. He can definitely sort of have the ball, ball come off his bat on that plane. The question is, it's it's usually a soft line drive to center. It's usually, a, and I keep hearing on the radio or whatever, like, well, he hit, he hit a single today. It was a line drive to left field. It was a line drive to center. And I'm like, what I want to know is how hard was it going? What I want to know is like, I want to see it with my eyes. I want you know? that minor league exit velocity data. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, I do want to thank you so much, David, for coming on. I loved this conversation. It was a ton of fun. We'll try and have you on as much as possible. If you ever want to come on, you you can come on because we love having you. Um, but do go read his Substack inside the follow him on twitter he is an excellent thinker as you can tell about baseball and the royals especially thank you so much we really appreciate your time yeah thanks guys really had fun the royals will play a full slate of games against the brewers guardians rockies angels rays reds dodgers and giants this week you might be thinking that's eight games that's because they have a split squad game at one point Um, we don't preview spring training games uh this is our preview section so instead, we're just going to talk about what we're interested in keeping our eye on this week. We're running a little long, so Mike, make it quick with this point. Uh, well, I already mentioned Michael Garcia, so I'm going to be watching. An eye, I'm going to have an eye on him for all of spring training. But I want to see plate approaches, specifically from guys like uh, Melendez while he's still here, Prado, Witt while he's still here, Massey, Lofton, the younger hitters. I want to see uh, what their plate approach is kind of refining into so that we can tell kind of who's going to be the guys that win some of these important spots or get more at bats during the regular season. Uh, yeah, I think that that's we're, we're keeping our eyes on those sort of approaches because right now you're wondering like, okay, are they taking the step forward that we expect the offense to take at this point? We need that offensive progression. It's going to be a big part of what happens in 2023. I'm watching one player in particular, and that is the guy who started off spring training for us, Daniel Lynch. He was not impressive in his first start with the Royals this spring. And I'm not even saying that from like an outcome standpoint. Yes, he gave up runs. Yes, he was, you know, whatever. He had zero strikeouts. I don't remember a whole lot of whiffs, a lot of swings and misses. And that combined with some of his comments about like what he's been working on this offseason and that sort of thing. And, you know, just I'm a little... I'm a little curious about that. I'm, I'm curious about Lynch's performance because he's a big part of this rotation battle. He's a big part of what, who's going to be the four or five starter in this rotation going into the season. So I want to see his second outing, see if it's any better than the first, see what he's working on. Hopefully that'll be televised. I'm not sure, um, but I'm interested in seeing what he brings to the second outing uh, for the Royals in spring training. We'll end this week's episode like we end every episode with our Just a Bit Outside segment where we talk about something that's interesting to us outside the world of baseball uncommonly Mike got to the outline before I did. So he stole the thing I was going to say I was going to talk about or roughly speaking. And, uh, but I still want to hear all about what is interesting to him outside the world of baseball. Tell us about this thing, Mike. 
The Barcade is undefeated. You and I and our significant others got the opportunity on Saturday night, thanks to my father-in-law for watching our child. We got to actually go out uh, to, you know, socially on Saturday night, and we had a great time at Updown, the Barcade over in the Crossroads area. And, you know, a lot of people have been there. It was super crowded. I am not a crowded place kind of guy. I'm an old grumpy. Mm -hmm. Okay. But we had a phenomenal time. Like, I love the idea of a barcade. You know, it's all nostalgia based and you can tell because on the walls and stuff there, it's all crap from the nineties. They're playing nineties wrestling on, on uh, the TVs and stuff. And, but you and I played a phenomenal game of NFL blitz. We were playing X-Men and you know, what was time-lapse or time, time crisis, time crisis, great game, you know, just takes you back. And, and even though it was really crowded, we got on games and, and we're able to do that. Everybody, you know, it was el- asses to elbows, but everybody was really cool. And, and uh, yeah, we just had a great time. So, you know, couldn't, whoever had that idea, wonderful job, that person, you, you deserve to be in the history books. Great idea. Yeah. Getting to play that NFL blitz again. That was so much fun. That game is so awesome. Oh my God. I will now be looking for <laughs> that game in some way, somewhere. Uh, I just out in the world. Like, can I get it on the switch? Can I find an emulator? Tell me and I will find NFL blitz and I will play it again because I loved it so much playing it with you at, uh, at Updown. It was great. Uh, that was what I was going to talk about. Just NFL blitz. It was so much fun <laughs> to, to play that game. <laughs> uh, but anyway, instead I'm going to talk about pizza buffets because I went to one Ooh. on what was that? That was Saturday. It was yesterday. It was Saturday. Here. Mike hosted his kid's first birthday party. Uh, I don't know why you throw a birthday party for a one-year-old who has no clue what's going on, but he decided to do it anyway at this uh, pizza place. It's called Summit Pizza, but it's basically the same as Waldo Pizza. Uh, They do a a pizza buffet. And it reminds me that like when I was a kid, we went to Pizza Hut buffet all the time. And I love a pizza buffet, man. I just, what's weird is I ate lunch at the pizza buffet. I came home and I laid around for a little bit. I got hungry again. I'm like, you know what I want? More pizza buffet. And so, <laughs> you know, even though let's I, be okay, but we have to be clear here. We're not talking about CC's or no, Pizza no, Street. No, no, no. no. you got to no, have some no, quality no. pizza. It's got to be. It's got to be Pizza Hut buffet or higher or higher or better or higher. You know? I don't yeah. know of any. There's not a ton of them. I mean, I guess CC's and Pizza Street and stuff like that. But I'm thinking like, you know, Pizza Hut are better, uh, and this one, some of Pizza is better. Uh, and so, yeah, I enjoyed it thoroughly. I just I destroyed because I hadn't eaten breakfast. I just went in and destroyed this buffet and, uh, and it was really, really great. They have amazing dessert pizza there. I love it so much. Um, and their so, garlic ranch is fantastic. Yeah. Mike likes their garlic ranch. I'm not a big salad guy. So I just, uh, I stick to the pizza, <laughs> but yeah, it was so wonderful. Love a pizza buffet. We need more of them. Can we just get more pizza buffets? Like every Man, pizza place how should about do it. Just goes more, more sit down pizza huts. You know, I'm not a, you know, pizza huts, not the greatest pizza in the world, but it's good. It, And it used to be fun to just sit down at a pizza hut. You could get a pitcher of beer and eat some pizza, you know, or you could take your little bucket thing in and they'd give you the personal pan pieces. Now you definitely sound like an old folk. You're like, how about more sit down? We need to sit down more in a pizza hut and drink a beer. Yeah, that's that's you. That's what you sound like. (laughs) Um, Anyway, uh, we've run way too long. Sorry about that for those who listen to the whole show. Uh, Thank you so much to David Lesky for joining us. I loved that conversation. He is such a smart commentator on the Royals, such a wonderfully uh, articulate person about the issues facing the Royals. We're going to try and get him on more. We're going to maybe catch a game with him or something sometime. Uh, but anyway, 
Thank you to him for showing up. Thank you to everybody who uh, jumped in and did ratings and reviews. We'll be back next week with more on the Royals. Until then, be good to each other. Go Royals.